kind of like it. The Browns not clutch. So we're going away from James Brown today because it's NFL draft. No, 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 no. We have to play NFL music. It's all NFL all day long. Two hours away from the mayor of Maple Valley. You know, going into the VMAC. We start our coverage at one o'clock from the VMAC with Ian Furness from one to three. Tony will join him for the final hour. Softy, Hugh, Coach Mike Holmgren, Tony Softly from three to seven. Myself, uh, Chuck, Hugh, and Tony from uh, seven to nine o'clock. And at nine o five, when we sign off, Hugh Millen will have his fifth peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Nice. What would uh, what would be on on the big uh, the big speakers of the puck house if you walked in? Name a couple bands we might hear. Uh, Just well, bands you like that you might have on. Uh, it's a, there's a lot of uh, 80s, 90s rap, yeah, and then okay. I would say Pearl Jam. And and then uh, you'd have Dave Matthews band blaring through the. Th- I might have the drive-by truckers or okay. the Black Crows or maybe the Bottle Rockets. You walk into like Curtis Crabtree's house. This is the music that's playing. Turn it back up. This is what you hear on the yeah. stereo. Yeah, this is what he does. This is how he gets fired up. That's right. Curtis Crabtree, RC Unks reporter, all around great guy. Yes, sir. Man, I love more than anything. He doesn't find me funny, but that's okay. He joins us on the Beacon Plumbing Hotline. Happy draft day, sir. You too, guys. What's going on? <laughs> you couldn't sound less excited to be on with us. I mean... Which can I don't you, blame you. I wouldn't be either. Can you just pretend one time that you're excited to be on the show with us? Well, I I, I, I was thinking in my head there as you were giving that lead in of saying hi to Gaff and not to you after you said, here's Curtis Curtis. Hi, Gaff. How's it going? That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, let me ask you something. I'm, we're all uh, sitting on the edge of our seat looking at Pete Carroll's draft clues, which, which and I want to ask an NFL expert. Because the last one was a, a pretty funny video of a monkey stealing a hubcap. And I'm not making this up. It's a monkey stealing a hubcap. And I'm wondering, because monkeys are actually really smart animals, and they're somewhat fearless if, if you hit the right one and you can teach them things. Is there a rule within the NFL that prohibits you from drafting an actual monkey to play linebacker for you or to play guard or to put whatever you think you could teach him? <laughs> I almost got through without laughing, Buck. <laughs> Is there a rule, Curtis, prohibits you from selecting an animal? I'm not aware of one. Wouldn't that be awesome, then, if they did it? If, if Pete and John actually like, we are taking an animal with the 18th pick, and you can't stop us, Roger Goodell, that would be a hell of a day. Oh, jeez. Oh. He can't even oh, respond. He God. won't even respond. Buck's looking at, or Curtis is looking at his watch going, i got other things I got to do. All right, do. Curtis, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you later. No. Um, no, I don't think you can draft a, an animal, Curtis. Um, well, the biggest storyline today is going to be Earl Thomas. And and whether or not he gets moved, I guess it could go over to tomorrow as well. But the um, what, what's your hunch? You've been around this team long enough to kind of get a feel and vibe for what they may do. Uh, Earl Thomas, at the end of the day, and they wrap up the draft here tonight, you know, 9 o'clock. Is he still on the team? I think he's still on the team, yeah. I just don't think they're going to get the offer that they would need to truly consider sending him out at this point in time, and particularly with, with the fact that they've got Supposedly, as John Schneider has said, some assurance from his agents that Earl doesn't intend to hold out and for training camp or anything like that. I, ju- I just don't know if the the stakes are going to raise to such a point where they feel like they've got to do that. But, you know, maybe somebody comes in with a last-minute offer that they, they can't refuse and something happens. I just At this point in time, I, I kind of lean towards nothing nothing changing tonight on that front. In, in your mind, what does that last-minute offer look like? Because we obviously are getting toward the last minute. If someone was going to make a home run offer and say, we really want Earl Thomas and we think we can make him happy here and we'll give him a long-term deal, what does it look like in your mind, the kind of offer that a team might make to pry him away? Uh, 
two two high draft picks of some kind, whether it's a first and third, a couple seconds, something. Yeah, I don't know, something in the something in that sort of vein, um, where they can use those picks for 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 replenishing the roster as they they reset it here a little bit this, this off season and moving forward. But um, whether they get that or not, it's tough to say. And you know, again, at this point in the off season as well, you have teams that have already committed you know, a large portion of their salary caps to certain players. And so there's not so, – some teams, unless they do some gymnastics with the salary cap, aren't going to have the space to, to add that sort of contract to their roster right now either. So, I, I mean, it's not like it's the, the, the easy pull-off, but if a team really wanted to do so, they, they could find a way to get a hold of him. Do we lose you, lose you there, it Curtis? Peak their oh, interest. What's that? Sorry, you're you're kind of he's cutting in and out. Sounds like the phone line's bad. You're kind of cutting in and out, so I don't know if it, if that's on our end or on your end. But uh, you're you're. I don't know. I, I didn't move, so okay. All right. Yeah, I think I'm you're trying. I think you're trying to get out of talking to us some more, and you're yeah. like you're you're just you're clicking things <laughs> we, and making got another. We have so many more hard hitting questions uh, to ask you. Do you think the relationship? It's hard because Earl doesn't. I mean, when he talks, it's it's always fun. We we play around with what he says in in post game, you know, uh, press conferences and things like that. Has it soured to the point where a new start for both parties would be wise? I don't know. Um, you know, I you look at the the little incident uh, incident, however you wanted to find it, um, the little thing with Bobby Wagner last year where he said that you know Bobby probably shouldn't have been playing in the Rams game because of uh, the injury that he had, and Bobby popping off at him back on Twitter telling him to keep his name out of his mouth and all those sort of things. How much does that sort of impact things? Or then you have Earl going over to the Cowboys locker room saying, come get me. I mean, there, there's, there, I don't discount that those, those things had some sort of effect on how they entered this off season. Now they certainly could have moved past it for whatever reason you want to ascribe to it. But um, I don't know. I, I don't know how much of an issue it really play, it plays because ultimately whenever uh, whenever kickoff comes on a Sunday in the fall, Earl is cranked up to about 120 and is ready to go. So I, I don't think you ever have to question that on, from Earl Thomas, and I think that's you know one thing that that they have going for him in that regard. I'm still of the belief too that that let's just say we get through this draft and Earl Thomas is still a Seahawk, he's not going to hold out. I think his competitive fires w- will dictate that he's there. Uh, I th- I think he's at a point in his career. We're holding out actually might be more detrimental. I understand guys want the, want to max their their deal, Curtis, but to him it's like, look, man, I'll play this last year and then I'll still get because athletes are wired that way. I'm not going to get hurt. I'm not going to have a bad year. I'm going to have a great year, and when I'm done, I'm really going to be able to write my own ticket, go wherever I want, and make max money. Yeah, as long as the world doesn't get hurt this year, that that'll be the case regardless. But. You know, you can't help but look at the fact that two of his teammates probably had their careers end due to injury mm-hmm. last season, and you have to worry about going into the final year of your contract without that future guarantee at this point. You know, there's there's some risk to doing that on his front as well and not, you know, not having that sort of locked up at this point. So, um, you know, I think there is obviously the incentive for him to do so, but, you know, if he was to hold out, it costs him, you know, whatever that figure is of money every day he's not there throughout training camp and, um, you know, then ultimately he would miss game checks if he was to hold that during the regular season too. Uh, so I, I just don't know how worthwhile it would ultimately end up being um, if, you know, because you have John Schneider saying that, you know, the total different with Earl because he's heading into his third contract and 
Um, all of those sort of things that play into it. So, you know, it's tough to say how it'll play out, but certainly the fact that Earl is so, so committed to being on the field on Sundays, um, will go a long way towards them figuring out the right avenue that they're going to take with it as well. My personal favorite here at the radio station, Curtis Crabtree on with us on the Beacon Plumbing Hotline, uh, covering the draft for us at, uh, sportsradiokjr.com. You can follow Curtis on Twitter at Curtis underscore Crabtree. All right, you, in your opinion, you give me the list of priorities for the Seahawks as they enter uh, the uh, the draft starting tonight and this weekend. Uh, I think probably defensive end, um, running back, you know, depth at linebacker and offensive line, and, you know, some added help in the secondary would probably be the, the stuff that comes to the, the forefront most for me. You could certainly see them add to wide receiver and tight end as well. I mean, they have areas where they can add. It's just the priority of being, you know, are they looking for a starter in these spots? Are they looking for, you know, some some quality depth backup stuff that could potentially uh, develop into starters into the future? I, it just depends on the position you want to look at. But, I mean, as we've talked about before, I think they need some pass rush help for the future as much as anything. Um, running back would certainly be something they could use to, to add to that mix heading into this year with, basically everybody on their roster outside of Mike Davis coming off uh, injuries and, um, you know, certainly finding some help to replenish the secondary. Even though they took four guys in the draft last year at that end of the roster, they could certainly look to try to, to replenish there too, just because you don't know who's going to pop through and really become something for them and who's still going to uh, – and what you have out of a couple of those guys who didn't get a chance to play. So I think all of those couple of spots are, are the, the highest priority to me. They're, uh, the Seahawks are notoriously kind of fun around this day. Pete does his draft clues, and they're coy with everybody, and then they don't generally tip a whole lot. In your mind over the last few weeks, do you think there's been, has there been anything said, anything done, anything that's made you sit up and go, huh, I wonder if this means this? Have you gotten any tips from them as to what you think they might be thinking of doing tonight? Not particularly outside of the obvious in trading back. Right, right. Um, you know, that's about that's about the one thing we can pretty well feel like is is a real possibility for them, given the fact they don't have a second and third round pick. And um, being able to add something in those areas would be advantageous to them. So um, outside of that, no, there's not really anything that stood out to me. Um, it was interesting to hear John Steiner say that he feels like they haven't done a good enough job of addressing the quarterback position in the draft and adding to that, that, that mix like they used to do in green Bay when he was there. So you could certainly see them looked at a backup quarterback somewhere throughout the, the seven rounds of the draft as well. If it, if you know, the situation presents itself, uh, you know, to them, Russell Wilson is the only quarterback they have drafted in their eight quarter in their eight years running the team. And, you know, he comes from a franchise in green Bay that even though they had Aaron Rodgers was drafting Brian Brom and, and Matt Flynn and, you know, um, Graham Harrell and continuing to throw guys that, you know, Brett Hundley now that he's, you know, he, uh, Schneider didn't do that, but the Packers have continued to add to the that group since he left. And that's just a philosophy that they had while he was there that he shares. He just hasn't actually gone through and done it. So you could certainly see them looked at a quarterback of it if the right scenario comes up as well. You know, I think that – how about this scenario? Okay, I'm not going to bore you with the with the trade chart. And Curtis, I'm sure you, you – you you have that up in front of you right now. What if what if you I think this would pan out. I don't know exactly where the location of the pick needed to go, but if you traded down from 
from 18 down into the 20s, 23, 24, 25. I think you could, based on that chart, you could add a, a third round pick. Okay, so what if what if they trade now, which we think they'll do something to acquire another pick in that second and third round, which they don't have right now. If they move down, acquire it, but remain in the first round, but then pick up a third round pick, and then let's say they move Earl Thomas to the Cowboys, if that ESPN report is true, the Cowboys are offering uh, potentially a second round pick, the 50th overall. So then you get yourself the second round pick, you get yourself a third round pick, you remain in the first round, but now you're in the 20s. You know, I, I think at the end of the day, that'd be a, a pretty solid job by this team because they, they, I think they need to find, you know, whoever the best, ta- most talented player is in the first round, they need to get them. I think they've spent too much time in the last few years screwing around and trying to trade down and get all these draft picks and then wasting it and not getting a real talented player. I mean, Bob Condota, I'll reference this all weekend long, did a great story breakdown. Uh, on the on the Sunday paper, and he had the stat that that's that's obvious. Listen, your your talented players, your your Hall of Fame players, the majority of them are in the first round, and that's obvious to everyone. And and at some point, this team, because of the lack of you know overall talent that they have on it now, in terms of young talent, I, I think would be wise at some point to maybe spend a first round pick. They haven't used a first well, round pick where they originally have been since 2011 when they took James Carpenter. Right. To, to flip that argument around, they've been in the playoffs every year. So they've been picking yeah. in the latter stages of the first round throughout most of that. And you know, most people will say that the real true first round talents on a given year are like 15 to 20. So if you're not getting one of those guys anyway, what, it, how much of a difference really is there between when they're picking at 24, 25, 28, and then 31, why, 32? And why spend and, the money and, and, if and you're going to get – yeah, if you're going you're gonna to get less money in yeah, the second round. Exactly. So that would be the, the flip side of that argument and why they, they view that. So Seattle hasn't had a top 20 pick since they took Bruce Irvin, right? Right, yeah. So, I mean, so it, it, we're talking about a little bit of a different threshold potentially – there than than you know just oh well it's a first round pick well not all first round picks are created equal in given drafts so, so some some drafts are deeper than others obviously you look at um you know the draft that that Blaine Gabbert and and Jake Locker were in I can't remember which one it is when when all those quarterbacks went early there was a lot of really good non quarterback talent in that draft if I remember correctly and so you were able to get some of those pieces later on but like I said if Seattle's pick at twenty six twenty seven twenty eight thirty thirty two whatever the case may be there, you know, how much of a threshold difference really is there between the guy that they would take at that spot and the guy that they take at 35? Probably not all that much. So I, I think, and if that's the case, then if you could add more more, more bullets, so to speak, later on in the draft, that's sort of the, the approach that they've taken. Um, but when all when all said and done, you know, they, they've, I think they've spent five first-round draft picks in their tenure running the team. Four of them have come along the line you know, offensive and defensive line, the, Earl Thomas being the only exception to that. So when they have used those high picks, it's been in the trenches too. So that's something else to keep in mind. And, and clearly we'll know when, when it comes around tonight if there is a guy that they value enough at 18, because there is a difference between 18 and the second round. I mean, we'd all agree on that. that There, there could oh. be. I mean, you never know. It's all crapshoot. But, but the idea that, hey, here's this guy, and we like him, and we're in the middle of, you know, whatever you want to call it, rebuild, redo, reload, however you want to re-it, any uh, re, any re, you want to pick? Let's grab this guy because we we envision him as a as an eight to ten year star 
for this team, and you need star power. It'll be interesting to see if they covet anyone enough uh, after the first 17 players are taken to go ahead and burn that pick, and we'll obviously know by what they do, right? Yeah, of course. I, I Look, I certainly don't expect this guy to be there by any stretch, but let's just do it because it's the absurd hypothetical. If Bradley Chubb is sitting there for them at number 18, mm-hmm. you know, the top defensive end in the draft, a guy who, by all intents and purposes, is viewed extremely highly as a pass rusher, yeah, you know what? I think they'd probably stay and pick the guy. I don't know. You it know? might, so it might it's, be it's a not... reach, Curtis. I'm not sure. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's a circumstance-based decision that they ultimately end up making. There's certainly going to be guys that they feel like they couldn't pass on there because the value is too high. The question is, you know, if, if their board, which they said they've pared down quite a bit, has, say, well, those guys are gone by the time they pick at 18, then what's the harm in trading back if you feel like you're getting, going to get the same player and can add those draft picks you don't have in the second and third round? So, um, you know, that's – that's why it's tough to gauge what they're going to do on a, you know, heading into yeah. a draft day particularly. But, you know, I, I would still lean towards without an Earl Thomas trade to replenish some of those draft picks as well. But, but trading down is probably a pretty high likelihood for them going into that. Well, I mean, I, I've always got – I've gone back and forth on this one. And I think I've just probably reached the point where I, I do believe they're not going to call it a rebuild. I mean, I, I think they are – in. In a in a in a in their form of a rebuild, I think they're in it, and I think that they could if they can acquire picks for Earl Thomas, then then do it. You know, I I would hate to see Earl go, but you know, we you may need some players you're building six seven years from now, and, and Earl Thomas is just not going to be a part of this football team six or seven years from now. My number one thing is my my old number one thing all along has been, if you're going to preach it from day one about a running game, then find yourself a running back, and I I just don't believe they have anyone on their roster, even though my love affair for C.J. Procise, but he can't stay healthy. I'm just not convinced Chris Carson is is the guy. And so I, I would love for them to get a running back. I mean, I, I, I joke about the Darius Geist uh, cat out of LSU, whether it's him, whether they do end up getting a second-round pick and maybe get Rashad Penny out of San Diego State, someone. Someone that is highly regarded at carrying the ball. Chris Carson was not the case a year ago. The last time they really invested in a running back, it worked out. And Marshawn Lynch, he was a first-round pick that they end up getting in a trade with Buffalo. But Well, the last time they did it was Kristen Michael when well, they that, took him in the second round. Second field, round but I'm talking first-round talent. I think there's a difference between first-round talent and second-round talent, but that's just me. You got, something, well, you got to I, invest you know, in a home-run type and a really good football player. Well, I have the flip side of that argument where I, I really don't even care who the running back is. I'm not interested in taking a running back high personally just because they have the short one of the shortest shelf you know shelf lives of any position in the nfl um the difference you could see between the the delta i think that there is between a first round pick at running back and some of the mid-round picks at running back i don't think is all that significant i mean for instance last year leonard fournette goes number four yeah. and yet the two top running backs in the league a year ago came out of the third round in kareem hunt and alvin kamara sure. and you know so you can find those picks later in the draft just as just as as is you know I, w- I shouldn't say as easily but they definitely happen where you can get those guys later on heck even look at you know Alex Collins should not have made the Seahawks last year, given the information that they had on him leading into that spot. Uh, when they had them make the decision at the end of training camp last year, he, you know, he had the rough first season and had the fumbles in the preseason a year ago. But that's a fifth round pick that then became something for Baltimore. You can find, I, I think, you can find running backs that are plenty talented later on in the draft, and whether that's Ronald Jones or uh, Penny, as you mentioned, guys like that. 
there might not be all that different, all that much difference between a guy you could get in that spot in the first round if they happen to pick there and what those guys ultimately end up being and get a pretty similar output. So um, that's just kind of the way I view it. Um, but, you know, I don't think you need to invest a first-round pick to still get that really talented running back option either. I think you can find those in the middle rounds uh, as well. Folks, you can follow him on uh, Twitter, at Curtis underscore Crabtree. Also find his work up at SportsRadioKJR.com and listen to him uh, not only uh, tonight, uh, but the next three days he'll be all over our draft coverage. All right, buddy, we'll see you there uh, later this afternoon. All right, see you, boys. There he is, uh, Curtis Crabtree. By the way, I've Peaked done up a, a little bit. I've done an extensive search uh, of whether or not you can, uh, whether or not you're allowed by rule to draft a monkey, and I have found nothing that says you can't. So if they have found a monkey who they think they can teach to play through the whistle and to do the right things and to be a good community citizen, well, someone on the uh, Heritage Distilling text line had, had sent in NFL Rule 14.a.2. You can only draft a Homo sapien. Does that really exist? So, so uh, <laughs> wow, that's somebody who knows the rules, huh? Uh, well, let's hey. ask. You know what? Who's going to know the answer to that? Who? Our next guest. Okay. The uh, former head coach of your Seattle Seahawks, who was the president and GM. I'm not a, asking Holmgren a man if you can who's draft in, a monkey. Yes, we're going to ask him. <laughs> can you draft a monkey? We'll ask Coach Mike Holmgren next. Can the Gas Man on your home for Seattle's best NFL draft coverage. Sports Radio 950, KJR. Yes, welcome in our draft coverage, 2018 12th man NFL draft coverage. It's brought to you by our friends at Coors Light. Frost brewed Coors Light, whatever your mountain, uh, climb on. It gets started uh, officially 1 o'clock today with the mayor of Maple Valley, Ian Furness, 1 to 3 o'clock. Tony Softley, former NFL executive with the Carolina Panthers and the Rams, will join him from 2 to 3. Softy, Hugh Millen, Mike Holmgren, Tony Softley from 3 to 7. Uh, Chuck Powell, myself, Hugh, Tony from 7 to 9 o'clock. And joining us now, it is our privilege, our honor, former Seahawks head coach, employee here at 950 KJR, the legend, the great Mike Holmgren, joining us on the Beacon Plumbing Hotline. Hi, Coach. What's doing, guys? How's it going? Big day today. Huge day. Uh, Gas has got a question. Gas and I are trying to solve something, uh, the legality of selecting a selection in the NFL draft. Right, and and by the way, this is a big day for me because I have never talked to Mike Holmgren as an employee on the radio. This is my first ever question I'm going to ask you. Coach, I can only do one, and I want to make the first question really count. You know what I mean? I understand. Yes, go ahead. And and here here it is. Pete Carroll tweeted out earlier this morning as part of his his clues that he likes to do on Twitter. He likes to put funny things out. And he tweeted a very funny uh, video of a monkey stealing a hubcap off a car. And it got us to wondering, well, well, is that legal? Could the Hawks, in fact, draft a monkey? Is there any NFL rule that you know of that prohibits that? And you have to admit, as a coach, stopping a monkey blitz would be would be problematic. It'd be very difficult. See? And I wouldn't put anything past Pete. I really wouldn't. You know, so, uh, But I don't think you can do that. I, I think uh, this is a very, very important day for, uh, on, on a more serious note, the guys work so hard. You know, to get get the the board right, get the players in their minds, understand who they can get to make their team better. And uh, the one thing I do I can tell you guys is anything you hear from a coach at this point or a general manager, I think they're worse. Don't believe a single thing you hear. Do not believe anything. 
That's right. Because well, well, why tip your hand now? You're, you're you're so close to the jackpot. Why tip your hand now? Yeah, no, and they, you know, there's a lot of things happening, and and uh, I, actually, I liked it the old way when we started at nine in the morning or eight in the morning. I forget when it was, and then you went all day, and then you had another day the second day. To wait now to have draft day come, and uh, and then have it at eight o'clock at night or five o'clock at night West Coast time. Boy, you, you're sitting around trying to figure out what to do, making sure you don't tweak with the board, you don't overthink things, you have your plan in place. But human nature being what it is, I tell you, you're walking in and out looking at that board, what's going to happen? It drives you cuckoo. It really does. In, in the years that, that you that you were a part of it, Mike, not only in Green Bay, and even going back to, to, to your, your days in San Francisco, I know you're a coordinator, but you're obviously involved in, in the draft. And then, of course, here in Seattle, did you ever get to the point, you know, where it's the day of where you're like, ah, you know what? I don't like answer C and you're scribbling it out on the test. I'm going with B. Did you ever change anything the day of, like on your board of the draft? Uh, not on the board, but, uh, you know, but we did. You, you are forced to make changes uh, if something happens. In Seattle, as an example, Bill Walsh phoned me the morning of the draft really early. He said he needed to move up. Uh, and then uh, passed us to get a player they wanted. And uh, I didn't want to lose the player we wanted to them. Uh, so he, he kind of told me who they were going to draft. Well, that, was, that, that was unprecedented. So we did the deal, got an extra pick, and so on and so forth. Um, in Green Bay, uh, we were going to take Ray Lewis. We're very excited about getting Ray Lewis. We had him. We had him. And uh, Baltimore, just before we picked, uh, jumped in front of us, made the trade in front of us, took Ray Lewis, the Hall of Famer, one of the great linebackers of all time. And it was the only time in my time with Ron Wolf that, I, that all of a sudden it, it, it was almost like we didn't have a plan B. Mm-hmm. Or we, where we, we were so shocked and disappointed by that because all the indicators, all the stuff we had heard, you know, Ray was going to be our guy. And we wound up taking a tackle, John Michael from USC, and he wound up playing, you know, two two years, and so in the first round, and so things happen, and but you have to be fairly sure that if all of a sudden the rug gets pulled out, you you, you got to have more than one choice, and feel very very good about that second choice. Otherwise, you can get caught with your pants down a little bit. What um in that moment. Does does talent Trump need or does need? In other words, so okay, we're going to take Ray Lewis. Oh, I don't believe this. The Ravens just took him. Okay, we got ten minutes, and I'm not saying specifically in that one instance, but overall, Mike, if you're running the show, would you at that point say let's look at talent or let's look at need? Since we did, in fact, get caught a little bit here. You know, guys, you hear that term used a lot. We're going to draft according to to talent. We're going to take the best player on the board. Now, if the best player, that's not altogether true. Because let's say the best player is Peyton Manning, but you have Brett Favre. Right. So you're not going to take the best player on the board. You're going to take some, a good player, someone who you think is very, very good, but also some, somebody you need. That makes sense to me. So it's never just one or the other, in my opinion. Uh, I think... Uh, the Seahawks now going into this thing, I heard you guys a little bit earlier that with Curtis, um, you know, there are areas on this football team that, uh, that I think there, there's need. 
So the, the idea that your board won't show a really good player in any one of those areas, that I'm not buying that. They're gonna mm. so if they want to take a pick at 18, there'll be a good player there that can help them. But you know what? The other thing I would just say quickly that uh, a lot of times, and I get this from Ron Wolf, the first 15 players in the draft are you just get them, take them. Players 15 through 32, he used to give me these numbers, players 15 through 32, it's the same guy. It's the (laughs) same athletic guy. So now how do you go about that? And the Seahawks have that decision to make when they get to their pick at 18. Would you keep it? If if I believed in the player that was at 18, absolutely. Absolutely. And and Rod did too. I mean, I'm using Rod and Ted, I said Ted Thompson when we were together. Uh, uh, John Dorsey, who's now running the Browns, was with us. John John Schneider was in the room with us. There was a lot of talented guys there. And so you have that little tug of war that takes place. It usually doesn't happen five minutes before the pick, uh, but but you, you have hashed those things out. And if the player that they want is still there at 18, and it's not a surprise, then they I say take them. But, you know, traditionally they've wanted more picks, guys. You know, mm-hmm. they – and all general man, they want picks. They want to, They want action. They want, they want to be able to wheel and deal. And if they think they can get just as good a player at, at pick 29 or 30 or something like that, depending on how they rated the, the players, then, of course, you're trying to trade out. But you need somebody to trade with you. You get to 18 and you're looking at your phone. You're just watching your phone. Okay, there's Seahawks on the clock. you got 10 minutes. Now you're just looking at the phone, and you're saying you're either saying, "Okay, here's our guy. Write him down. Get him ready," or you're saying, "Please, someone phone me. Please, someone phone me." <laughs> and then all the guys are looking at all the phones, and all of a sudden the phone rings, and wham! It's just it's pretty cool stuff, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, you know you know Dorsey, you know uh, Scott McLuhan. Uh, you've got relationship with with those guys. They're working together now in Cleveland. Scott McLuhan is advising uh, John Dorsey. Uh, there have been reports out there, new, uh, numerous reports saying they will take Baker Mayfield. Knowing those guys uh, how, and, and knowing how they operate and how they think about quarterbacks, you think that's the way they're leaning, number one, to take Baker Mayfield? It's quite possible, you know, because I, I'll tell you what, when Scott McLuhan was in, left me and went to San Francisco, and he phoned me before the draft and he said, Mike, we're going to take, I think we're going to take Alex Smith, who was a junior coming out of the University of Utah. In a, in a systems offense, he was a runner, a pass, you know, he was, he was, and he goes, what do you think? We're going to take him first. And I said, he, I think he's a fine player, but now there's a learning curve here because he's coming out of a systems offense. There's a learning curve coming in the NFL. And so they, they said, he obviously felt that that was okay. Now it took Alex a long time in San Francisco to kind of hit his stride, but Scott will do that. And Scott is a very talented man and he and Dorsey make a good combination there. I think I think the what the Cleveland has to look at the first ten picks of the draft are going to be it's very interesting even though they're not Seahawks picks because you got the quarterbacks you got four or five quarterbacks in there which is really unusual that could go high and it kind of skews everything else so Cleveland if they could take a quarterback one but they also have the fourth pick so if they've rated their quarterbacks like let's say they rated all those guys the same or close to the same. Then they could go with a different player, number one, because you can't lose. There's enough quarterbacks to get to your fourth pick. So how they think, you know, Baker Mayfield, everyone thinks that Russell Wilson, 
because of his height and because of his success, you can play the position with that size. Mm-hmm. That's not true. Russell Wilson can play the position right. at that size. Right. Drew Brees can play the position at that size. But you can't name too many other players that have been able to do that. Hey, one last one for you uh, before we cut you loose. And I'm bringing all the prop bets over, too, so make sure you have a lot of ones. Don't show <laughs> up with me, no $1 I, I, bills. I didn't hear that. What did you say? A lot of prop bets. I'm bringing them all over. I got I got a stack of prop bets for us in the draft later today. Let, uh, I, I thought that bag I thought that bag went to the Cayman Islands. It's come back Yeah, it's now? come back. I, I went to the Cayman, and I brought it back. All right. And you owe. Um, a serious question, though. Does John miss Scott McLuhan? Uh, I think John's a very talented guy, uh, but I think anybody. I miss Scott. McLe- I, Scott McLuhan is uh, is a talented, talented evaluator and sounding board, if nothing else, uh, depending on his title. But uh, he, his track record speaks for itself. What he did in San Francisco, what he did, what he started to do in Washington, in my opinion, mm-hmm. and uh, now what he'll do in Cleveland. So I think John misses him, sure. But John. You know, they, they, I think John and Pete really work well together. But I think anyone that talented, you're going to miss, yeah. Okay. All right, appreciate it. We will, uh, we'll see you later today. All right, guys, take care. Thanks, Thanks Mike. All right, Mike Holmgren uh, joining us there on the Beacon Plumbing uh, Hotline again. He will be on with uh, Softy and Hugh and Tony Softly today from 3 to 7 o'clock. And then uh, myself, Chuck, uh, Hugh, and Tony will pick up after them, go 7 to 9. Ian's going to kick it off from the VMAX starting at 1 o'clock today. Can I tell you that his answer just was awesome to the monkey question? It was great. It'd be problematic. He went right into coach mode. Yeah, you know what? That You now have some problems that you weren't anticipating. How would you like to have a see some red flags here, Gas. Wouldn't you love to hear a sideline NFL Films conversation between Holmgren and Brett Favre discussing with Favre pissed off saying, what are you going to do about this monkey blitz? We didn't plan for it, and he keeps climbing on me, and he's pooping in my ear hole, and I want to know what you're doing about this, or I'm not going back out there. The monkey's all over the field. Um I want to pick that back up. I, I think this has been a story that hasn't been talked it's about enough, great is point. the loss of Scott McLuhan to this organization. Uh, we'll detail how much he, he did mean to the Seahawks organization. Now back to Puck and the Gas Man on your home for Seattle's best NFL draft coverage. Sports Radio 950, KJR. Lunch with listeners coming up in about uh, 10 minutes. And, uh, you know, we're going to keep it pretty pretty simple for you. Lunch with listeners brought to you by the Other Coast Cafe. Seahawks predictions. <laughs> what what You predict what they are going to do uh, tonight in do, the NFL draft. Do we, do we want what do you think they're going to do what or do what you do you think? want they're going to do how or about, both? How about all, it's all open-ended? It's open-ended. Whatever you yeah, – you, yeah. you, how about you are the personnel director, you make the call. You, make, you, you become John Schneider. What do you want to do? Uh, tonight in the NFL draft. You want to stay there. You want to move down, but stay in the first round. You want to get completely out of the first round. Kevin Shockey right now, I think, just did a line of coke. He has been all over the place on Twitter. He's breaking down like all the trade scenarios with the with the, with the the draft chart. Yeah. And it, there's so many tweets. Because, you know, people, you know, there was that Jimmy Johnson made a famous about this, the draft value chart and what you get down by moving my uh, moving picks, and it's now readily available to anyone. You can you can see it, and uh, Kevin's doing a great job. But again, this is what we talked to Curtis about. You can just move down a few spots in the first round and pick up a third round pick. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't need to move down all that much. 
And um, and so there's a lot of scenarios out there uh, for the Seahawks. Uh, and again, a reminder, our coverage at the VMAX starts at 1 o'clock with the mayor of Maple Valley, Ian Furness. So I'll get back to that last question that, w- that we asked uh, Mike Holmgren about. You know, Scott, I don't think it's discussed enough the impact that Scott McLuhan had on this organization. He was a senior personnel executive. He basically kind of was John Schneider's right-hand man. Mm-hmm. And and Mike obviously worked with him and knew him. He goes to San Francisco, and he he's great in San Francisco. He's given a lot of majority of the credit for building up San Francisco's team. And the, then the, and then the he last leaves. time they were good, not this yep. one, but the last time in, in yep. the oh eight oh nine era. Yep. Yeah, yep. He was given a ton of credit for drafting, developing all those guys, and really building that team that had that great rivalry with Seattle. Then he comes to Seattle. And he's a you know he's from 2010 to 2013, so he's involved in the 10 draft, 11, and 12. And we've all concluded those are the three best drafts in franchise history. And some would argue, I know he was argued this. You look back in the the history of the draft, hard to find it. It's right up there with the best drafts in the history of the sport. Mm-hmm. What they've been able to to develop. Now he was he here for 13? Yes, he resigned in 2014, I think in April, almost right before the draft. Uh, so I don't. I'm, I'm assuming he had a, some input, obviously, on that 2014 draft. He stepped away from football to deal with uh, w- with uh, some personal issues. But since then, since his departure, I bring this up. You know, we've it's been well documented. I mean, 13 draft not good, 14 draft not good, 15 draft not good. Um, boy, you know, 16 is yeah. You know, it's they get what that's you know they get you get you get a couple guys out of there, and then I think you know you look at this last year too early to to kind of determine. But one thing that people have been critical is that, hey, man, you know, kind of since Scott McLuhan left and advising John, the draft hasn't been great. Well, look at this guy's career. And as you mentioned, there's been at least two times that that we know of where alcoholism has interfered dramatically with his life. And, 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 you know, so, you, you know, hopefully he's gotten that thing cured. He's with the Browns now. But think about this for a minute. Forget that. This is a guy who was very involved as a scout with the Packers when they had a Super Bowl team under Holmgren. Then he comes here, and he's very involved with the Seahawks' director of college scouting. He left in 04, but during that time, they get a lot of the guys that become the pieces of that 06 Super Bowl team. He goes to the Niners, as you say, is given credit for what they did. Then comes back to the Hawks as part of the team that that you know builds the team that wins Super Bowl forty eight. This guy's been a success at this everywhere he's gone, with the exception maybe of the two years he was the Redskins GM. And and again, he left there again b- because of continuing alleged issues mm-hmm. with alcoholism. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to make light of that, but also the Redskins are a horrible organization. Right. I mean, Snyder's a, a goofball as an owner. So that's the one place where he hasn't had success. Now he's with the Browns as a consultant, I guess. It's a great point you bring up. I mean, he, he was a part of a lot of what was happening here in a successful vein. And when he left, things haven't been good. And maybe it's a maybe you could argue it's a coincidence. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, if he had remained here, maybe they would have had the same issues with drafting, but I don't know. I mean, I can just go look back at those three first drafts that he was heavily involved in, and they were regarded as the three best drafts uh, in the NFL history. And so, and then it, you go back to his track record, which you just detailed uh, thoroughly, that I, I don't know. I think this has been a bigger issue than people have ever kind of let on. And it's not to say that John Schneider and P. Carroll don't know what they're doing. They And all the scouts over there, they're very, very good at what they do, obviously. But sometimes even the best need help. Need a guy there on it, you know, getting into his ear talking about players. In every 
successful professional sports organization, there's that guy. There's the guy who's just off the radar, yeah. who is filling a value. Maybe it's because he can say anything to anybody. Maybe he's the one guy who can tell your GM or your coach that they're full of it. And, and, and they'll listen to him. Everybody has that. The successful teams always have that one guy. And, and you're right, you don't notice him until he's gone. I think this is, if not the most important, it's, it's, like, it's like 1A. I, I think it's the most important draft under John Schneider. I, I, he needs a bounce back. He, he just does. He, he needs a rebound draft. And it kind of stinks because he, barely, he doesn't have any second-round or third-round picks. He needs to do something in this draft. You know what? I don't think that matters as much. something really, really good in this draft. You know, it's not like he's going to draft 10 guys who all kick ass. Draft a couple sure. of, if you will. What do they have, five picks? They have, uh, how many picks do they that have? Matter. They, the point being, get two or three guys out of that that can contribute, and I think you've done what we're asking. Yeah, eight picks. Eight picks. Under. Eight picks. Shoot, get two or three guys that can contribute, and, and some of the heat is off on this whole idea that, hey, you've, you've, you've forgotten how to evaluate players. So, I mean, they don't have to accumulate more picks to necessarily have a great draft yeah. today. All right, Lunch with Listeners brought to you by the Other, uh, Other Coast Cafe. We turn it over to you, Lunch with Listeners. Uh, basically, you predict what they're going to do tonight. What do you want them to do tonight? What do you think they will do tonight? Uh, it's the first round, just the 32 picks. Will they stay in the first round? Uh, your phone call is coming up next after headlines, top of the hour, with the great Slick Hawkins.